The following audio is from Downtown Church, a kingdom-focused, gospel-centered, multi-ethnic, multi-class ministry in Memphis, Tennessee. For more information, please visit downtownchurch.com. Let's go now to the Word of God. Hebrews 12:1-13. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin... You have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight the paths for your feet, so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Thus says the word of the Lord. What we just heard was the very word of God. Amen? Amen. On your marks, get set, go. On your marks, get set, go. These are the words that I heard so often and even the words that I yelled out as a kid. See, I want to tell you that the good old-fashioned foot race in my neighborhood was a huge thing. See, the good old-fashioned foot race would give you street cred. It'd give you bragging rights if you were the fastest in the neighborhood. And I just remember, it's kind of crazy because, you know, you have a few kids. We've been on a narrow city street on the sidewalk. And in my neighborhood, it was busy. There was cars uh, in the street, but there was also people biking down the sidewalk, walking down the sidewalk, all this kind of traffic in on the city street. And here we are, kids racing. So we, we, we get to the mark, which is the crack of the sidewalk. And every kid had to put their toe at the the crack of the sidewalk. And of course there are those kids who are watching the tip of your toe. And analyzing and making sure you don't cross that crack as to get an advantage. 
So here we are, we're, we're at the, at the mark and we are getting position and sometimes there'd be two, three or four people racing on one sidewalk. And then there'd be this person probably at the stop sign at the corner of the block and there'd be this person standing there and, and they're the, 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 the official person. And here they are standing with their arms up and they say these words, on your mark, get set. And when they were saying go, they would put their arms down. That was the sign you could go. See, racing was tough because not only uh, are the sidewalks all jacked up, but you're running around people. You're running around people on bikes. And I just got to say that, you know, I was that kid who always tried to get the advantage. So when you, when you, I may not have been the fastest, but I was the smartest. So when you when you put your foot down, I'm the kid saying, nope, nope, you got your foot over. Nope, you started too fast. And here, when they said go, we would take off running our fastest. We're dodging around people, walking down the sidewalk, all to get the win, all to get the street cred, all to be the fastest in the neighborhood. And it's a fitting parable for when we come to our passage this morning. What we're going to see is the writer of Hebrews not talking about a race in a city street, but he's talking about the race and running in the Christian life. And the writer of Hebrews, he understands, get this, that running the Christian race will not always be easy. The writer of Hebrews understands that there'll, there'll be some detours and there'll be some stopping and going. But get this, this kind of race is not for street cred. This kind of race is not for bragging rights. This kind of race is for a greater reward, and that reward is Jesus himself. And this is what the writer of Hebrews is attempting to make clear for his Jewish readers. And he wants to let them know that they should remain, that they should continue on. And he's encouraging them to run the race of the Christian life. That they may endure. And that that they may one day experience the glory of God himself through Jesus Christ. Title this message this morning, Running the Christian Race. But before we go to work, let's pray together. Father, we thank you. We thank you that you are a good God. We thank you, Lord, that you know our every need. And God, we thank you this morning that you know our needs and you know our hearts, God, and yet you love us anyway. You've come after us. You've pursued us. You've initiated toward us. And we thank you. Father, I pray that you would eliminate distractions, that you would move me aside, that you may speak to us, that we may encounter you this morning. I pray, God, that you would have your way in this place. And it's in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. See, here the writer of Hebrews, he addresses the Jewish Christian readers. As we've studied through Hebrews, unit of thought by unit of thought by unit of thought, we've seen the work of the writer of Hebrews is to make clear to those Jewish Christians that there is a new solution. He wants to make clear that there is a new way. And the work of Hebrews 
is essentially saying to those, those Jewish Christians that I know that you are used to these certain symbols and signs in the Old Testament, but there's a new way. He's essentially saying that all of those symbols, all of those signs point to someone who is much, much greater. And he's saying you don't have to rest in those same traditions. You don't have to rest in those same customs. You don't have to be locked down to those things because there is one who came and he came to sacrifice it all that you may experience freedom from religion. He's attempting to move those Jewish Christians from religion to grace that they may fully experience the gospel of Jesus Christ. See, many of them have come to saving faith, yet they were still struggling. They were struggling to fully transition to walking in the newness of Jesus Christ. They they were still attempting at times to look back over their shoulder at some of those old traditions and patterns. And at times they would tend to look to those old traditions those old signs, those old customs for their sanctification and, and for, for their acceptance from God. Here, the writer of Hebrews, he is laboring over and over that they may fix their eyes upon Jesus, who is the only one who can give them real acceptance. Can you relate to that? Can you relate to this whole idea that at times we we tend to turn back, even if our faith is in Jesus, we tend to look over our proverbial shoulders to things that used to give us satisfaction, and we look to those things to give us fulfillment. But we look to relationships and like we used to at times. We, we, we look to our own marriages to give us full satisfaction. At times, we look to the amount of money we have. And for some of us, if only I can just have more money, I will experience real satisfaction. And the writer of Hebrews would say, no, no, no. Those old traditions and those old customs will only leave you empty. And he's pointing to a new way. He's pointing to new solutions and new resolutions. And those things are in Jesus Christ. When we come to our text, the writer of Hebrews, he sticks to the norm. He likens the Christian life to what, what's familiar. And, and what his message is, he knows that the readers will understand. He says, the Christian life is like running a race. I love the authenticity here. Because he says, he's being honest. The Christian life is like running a race. And of all things the writer of Hebrews could have likened the Christian life to, he likened it to a race. He could have likened the Christian life to the, the an endless bowl of gummy bears. But he didn't. Uh, he could have likened the Christian life to an endless bowl of banana pudding or an endless bowl of cookies and cream ice cream. Y'all know all my favorites now. But he could have likened the the Christian life to those things, to winning the lottery. Why didn't he? Because he understood what the Christian life was really about. He wants to remind those Jewish Christians. He wants to remind them what they signed up for. That there's going to be some tough times. 
there's going to be some struggle that they go through. Yet this is a powerful message here. This is incredibly powerful. Why do I say that? Because when the writer of Hebrews talks about the Christian life as being a race and running this race, essentially what he is saying is, some of us have not gotten in the race yet. He's saying some of us have not gotten in the game. There are some who are still on the sidelines and you have not put your running shoes on. This is a tough truth. So I think on one hand, the writer of Hebrews is making some tough declarations to Christians. And on the other hand, he's saying to some who have not put their faith in Jesus and they are trusting in anything but Christ. He's saying, get in the game. Lace up your shoes. Get in the game. You're a runner. Essentially, put your faith in Jesus. See, in the Christian race, it's important to remember who made you a runner. you got to remember, before we can go any further, you have to remember who made you a runner. The writer of Hebrews says, he says, we've got all these spiritual giants in the faith. And they've gone before us. They ought to inspire us. And we stand upon their shoulders. So anything that might delay or anything that may hold us back, even if it's sin, let's push those things aside. And then he says in verse 1 and 2, let us run the race. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Get this. Looking to Jesus, the founder of and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. I love that the writer of Hebrews says of Jesus, he is the founder and perfecter of our faith. What is he saying? This whole idea of the founder of our faith says that Jesus is the originator of the Christian faith. Says that he began it all. And this is a powerful truth for us this morning. Because there are so many of us that even if we wouldn't say it out of our mouths, we function as if we are the originators of the faith. And we step on the scene as if we are the best things since sliced bread. And we function as if faith and hope is in ourselves and in our own strength. What the writer of Hebrews says is, no, no, no. It's him. It is Jesus who even gave our faith to us as a gift. And not only is it Jesus who began our faith... It is Him who will finish it in the end. He is the perfecter. In a sense, the writer of Hebrews declares that Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega. He's saying that there is no beginning of faith without Jesus. He begins it all and He finishes it all. How in the world could you say that about Jesus? He's just a man, right? Remember Hebrews chapter 1. Weeks and weeks ago in the series, Hebrews chapter 1, verses 2 through 3. But in these last days, He, God, has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things, through whom also He created the world. 
He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Get this. Get how how big the writer of Hebrews is speaking of Jesus. And he would say the same with the Apostle Paul, that Jesus has created it all. That in him we live, we move, and we have our being. That all things are kept and sustained by Jesus. He begins our faith, y'all. There's no Christian faith. There's no Christian living. We can't even talk about anything else before we get this. That the reality that Jesus started it all. That apart from Him, there is nothing. Now remember the picture so vividly from Scripture of Jesus being mocked and scorned. He is mocked. He is scorned. He is beat beyond recognition. And He is moved and pushed by Roman soldiers to the cross of Calvary. And there Jesus is, hanging upon the cross. He is saying upon the cross words like, Father, forgive them. For they know not what they do. Here Jesus has become the spotless lamb without blemish. And he is hanging upon the cross while people is mocking him. And you remember those words that Jesus uttered. As he is hanging upon the cross of Calvary. After it was all said and done, what did Jesus say? It is finished. Not only did Jesus start it, not only is he the first, but he is also the last. And what that tells me this morning is that not only did Jesus start it, but he does not leave what he starts undone. He is the perfecter of our faith. He started it all. He is the originator of our faith. And we cannot go any further until we pause and think upon the reality that Jesus started it all and he will finish it all. So even if we at times feel undone, Jesus is the perfecter of our faith. Even at times if we tend to lean back into our old habits and old practice, Jesus is the perfecter of our faith. And even if we don't treat our spouses like we ought to, Jesus is the perfecter of our faith. We may think things and watch things. We may not be a good steward of the financial resources that God has given us, but Jesus is the perfecter of our faith. That ought to be good news to somebody this morning. That what he starts, he finishes. But secondly... We've got to see that in the Christian race, we've got to understand that there will be problems. And, and, and I know that this isn't um, the, 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 the thing that everybody likes to talk about. But this is what the writer of Hebrews is pointing to. He's essentially saying, there is going to be struggle. Look at verse 3 with me. It says, consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself. So that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Essentially, the writer of Hebrews declares, he says, I know that walking this Christian life is hard. I know that you face barriers. I know that there may be some doors that have closed on you. I know that there may be some people who walked out of your life. 
but imagine what Jesus has suffered for you. That you can be steadfast and immovable, that you can put one foot in front of the other. He's essentially saying, Jesus has endured that you might be able to endure also. And it's the beautiful picture of the messy cross of Jesus enduring to death. Remember the picture of Gethsemane. Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's asking his friends and his disciples to pray on his behalf. And they keep falling asleep. Jesus is in anguish and he's essentially sweating blood. This is what it means that Jesus has endured for us. Saying, Father, if there's any other way, would you please take this cup from me? And yet he is obedient even to death and makes the long journey to the cross of Calvary. That's endurance. And that is endurance that you and I may endure here and now. Jesus was our ultimate example. And he persevered that we might persevere as well. Jesus stayed in the race that we might not quit the race. Jesus did not faint that we may put one foot in front of the other even when times are hard. And I wish I could tell you that coming to saving faith is all about your best life now. I wish I could tell you that everything is going to be great in your life, that you'll have enough money in the bank, that people will never turn their backs on you or never talk bad about you ever again once you come to saving faith. But that ain't the story of Hebrews. And the reality is, the truth is, the writer of Hebrews fully understands, get this, who he's talking to. He knows that when they came into saving faith, they're having these flashbacks of what those old customs and traditions, how they used to make them feel. And he knows how they're being persecuted and how they are suffering because they've come into saving faith in Jesus and now their whole families have turned their backs on them. And so he is doing the hard work to encourage their hearts that the Jewish Christians may continue on, that they may not go back to this legalistic Judaism, that they may put one foot in front of the other. He's saying, you can do it. And he's being their ultimate cheerleader. Continue on. Continue on. Christ is your example. I know times are hard. I know you can struggle at times. But continue on because Christ has continued on before you. That's his message. And it's the same message that he would declare to us this morning. The message that even though we may struggle, even though our lives may not be exactly where we anticipated they may not be, even though we may not have gotten the promotion, even though we may not have gotten accepted into the ideal school or the ideal program, even though we thought we would be married by now, God is still present and He is still at work and He has suffered that you and I may continue on says, I'm going to remain because Jesus has remained. He has done the hard work for me. He understands that there will be trouble. He understands that there will be problem. He says, persevere. He says, 
Yeah, you may have gone through the divorce, or yeah, the doctor may have given you a bad report, but endure. Persevere. Remain. Because you haven't come close to suffering as much as Christ has suffered on your behalf. Lastly, in the Christian race, remember there is a purpose to it all. Remember that in the Christian race, there is a purpose to it all. Verse 11 helps us to see this. For the moment, all discipline, get this, seems painful rather than pleasant. But later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. I love that. We see this same word. Even in verse 10, God disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness. This is beautiful. This word discipline occurs nine times in our passage alone. Over and over again, the writer of Hebrews declares God disciplines the the discipline of the Lord. What is this talking about? In the original language, this picture is of a parent who is correcting their child. This is a picture of a parent who is moving their child from going in the wrong direction and pushing them in the right direction. And the writer of Hebrews declares, God wouldn't discipline you if he didn't love you. That he wouldn't bring discipline in your life if he did not view you as a son or a daughter. So yes, you may be going through struggle, but there's a purpose to it. There's the fruitfulness of righteousness. There's, there's a purpose to it. There's some good that will come out of it. And I can't fully explain what that good might be, but there's some good that may come out of it. God is at work. And you know why I love this? The writer of Hebrews declares that there is a purpose, even in struggle, even in the discipline of the Lord, in running the race, and there's hard times and trouble and struggle. He declares that there is some good in it, which tells me that even in the hard times, in my lowest valley, God is at work. That his hands are upon my life, that his hands are upon my situation that he is at work and and that he sees and he knows and he is molding me to be the kind of person that he wants me to be and that eventually through struggle, through heartache, through all of the pain, I'm going to come out looking more like Jesus. As hard as that may be, there's a purpose in all of it. That God has disciplined us. That there are some things that we have done and God's hand of discipline is working in our life. And it's out of love. It's because He loves and He cares for us. And you know why all of this matters? All of this matters because Jesus says, I've come to give you life, and life more abundantly. And the writer of Hebrews wants to see those Jewish Christians who are moving from those old customs, that they may have life and life more abundantly. They don't want them settling for for cheap pictures of who God is. He doesn't want them settling for good things 
but not the greatest thing. And that is our message this morning. That running the Christian race is hard. That there may be some things that we have to detour around. And there may be some things that we, we have to watch out for. And there may be some struggle. And there may be some hard work. Because when we are running this marathon of the Christian life, there are things that happens to us that God is in the midst of. He cares and He knows. Hard times will come. And if the message to us this morning is that we may stay and endure, be steadfast, immovable, and moving forward, putting one foot in front of the other, because the faith that we have was a gift from God anyway. Let's pray together. Father, thank you that you indeed sent your Son, Jesus to die the death that we should have died. And God, I pray that even our children this morning would understand that Jesus did for us what nobody else could. That Jesus died for us, that He was buried and He rose again. That we might have life. And what He asks of us is faith. We might believe. And trust in Him, the one true and living God. Lord, help us. As the journey might be hard and tough, help us, mighty God. Lord, we need You. We need You on this race. And I pray, Father, that those who are on the sidelines, that they would lace up their running shoes. They would get in the game, put their whole faith and hope in Jesus Christ. Now, God, I pray that you would bless these gifts that we're about to receive. I pray that we would be sacrificial givers. I pray, God, that we would give in such a way that it hurts. That your fame and your renown in Memphis, Tennessee would grow because of these gifts. Multiply them, God. Use them in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.